Welcome to Southern Sisters Radio on Faith Talk Atlanta, the show for Southern women and the men who adore them. Join us as we celebrate life from a Southern point of view. Here's your host, author, founder of Southern Sisters Home and true Southern sister, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Southern Sisters Radio Program, the show for Southern women and the men who adore us. Um, welcome to Saturday. Saturday is one of my favorite days of the week, especially in the summertime. I mean, summer's already a little bit laid back, so you take a Saturday in the summertime, you got double laid back. You know what I'm saying, Marquis? Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Just super, super relaxing and enjoying. I think I've mentioned before that the kids are all home for the summer, and you women out there, well, and, and men too, of course, Uh, across the South who have got kids home for the summertime. Now, if you've got school-age kids, you've probably sent them back to school by by now, pretty much, right? Kids just went back to school. Kids went back to school. A lot of mamas rejoicing at the bus bus stop. Don't you know it? (laughs) Jumping up and down, doing a little dance. A little cry, though. (laughs) A little cry. A little cry. Yeah, (laughs) right? I remember when the little ones, like the kindergarten, you know, goodbye. When you Mm -hmm. have to say goodbye and they head off for the first day, that's tough. Now, most of the college kids are still kind of lingering around a little bit. A lot of the colleges around here don't start back for another few weeks. And so I have the uh, privilege of my my college-age children's company for the next few weeks, and it's been fantastic. I've enjoyed it so much. Uh, But speaking of summertime, today is a very important day. What day is it? Mm -hmm. And you probably, do you have this on your calendar? I I don't know. Did you put it in big red letters? Today, believe it or not, drum roll, is... National Root Beer Float Day. Oh. National Root Beer Float. Mm-hmm. I hope we have a recipe for that. Do you think you need a recipe for I, that? I, well, you know. <laughs> that was, we were talking about that. I was talking that with, about that with a girlfriend this week. Where she's like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, I, are you asking me how to make a root beer float? If you have to ask me how to make a root beer float, then you may never have had one uh, or spent much time in the kitchen. But uh, no, folks, you don't really need a recipe for a root beer float. Uh, neither do we. But a simple equation will do the trick. Ooh. Okay. So this is a little, little math. Go well, back to school, Mark. This is common core math. This or is, this is, this is math according math. to Jenny McCormick oh, okay. Earhart <laughs> and my culinary whims. But here's really all you need, right? Here's your math equation for the day a frosty glass of ice cold root beer plus. A heaping scoop of vanilla ice cream equals sweet heaven. Now, heaping, that's what, a half a cup, a half a spoonful? <laughs> that is a very a unscientific. Cup. It's as much as you want. <laughs> Just depends on how much you want in there. You've got to be careful. If you, you start plopping that ice cream in there, it starts foaming up, and it could go right over well, the top. Well, you see, Jenny, I have a new cup that I carry around here. Mm-hmm. It's oh. actually a vase. My gosh, <laughs> but Marquee, that I, thing but is massive. That would hold about two pints. Yes, this would be a great root beer float. It thing. would, and it's, <laughs> it's clear glass. For those of you that can't see it, it's clear glass, and that would be just beautiful. You see all those beautiful colors mm. in, the, in the root beer float. Oh, yeah, I, we could fill that up in a heartbeat. We need two straws for that one, though, Marquee. <laughs> that's huge. Well, you know, however, I was going to tell you all what you um, may, guys, you may appreciate a root beer float, but, you know, I know you've all got that nagging question Looming in the back of your mind all these years. I know you probably have, Marquis. Probably. What is the history of the root beer float? Ooh, please tell me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now. Here you go. Well, first of all, let's start with the root beer, okay? Now, this delightful beverage has been around since the 1700s when American farmers would brew a is a sort of a quasi-alcoholic drink, right, using sassafras root. I know you just... Love your sassafras. Love my sassafras. I chew on it every morning. (laughs) Many years later, though, a pharmacist named Charles Hires. Now, does that last name ring a bell? Hires. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He developed a non-alcoholic version, and he introduced it to the public at the 1876 Philadelphia Centennial Celebration. How about that? 
It was a huge hit there. And within a few years, Hires bottled root beer was available in stores across the country and still is today. Mm. How about that? This is an old, old beverage. Yeah, it sounds good, too. Going way I mean, back. I, pr- I wonder what the original recipe yeah. tastes like. You know? Yeah, you know. And I'm pretty sure what's in the cans and the bottles now is not the original recipe. No, it tastes a lot different. There was an article recently in Garden Gun Magazine about how food has changed over the years mm. and what folks were eating 100 years ago, even though it might have been... They were talking about apples. You know, even the apples were different. They were just, it was just different. You know, yeah, I was explaining to my wife about salt. I was like, you know, when you spill salt, it says bad luck because salt was precious. You couldn't get salt, right. you know, readily available like we can today. So oh. if you spill salt, it was bad luck. Every um, food didn't have salt on it. Exactly. We are so spoiled. We right? are. We have all we need and more. No question about it. But, okay, so, so there's the history of the root beer, right? Mm-hmm. And you may say, interesting, right? Interesting. Okay, it's very interesting. But what about the ice cream? Now, after all, a root beer float without the ice cream is, well, just root, root beer. beer. Okay. <laughs> so, the story, <laughs> so the story goes that in 1893, Colorado gold mine owner Frank Wisner, who also owned a local bar, okay, so he's, he's into gold and he's into liquor, all mm-hmm. right? So he came up with the idea while he was looking at a mountain. It was Cow Mountain, and that is where his operation was located. Now, against the night sky, the story goes, that the snow-capped Cow Mountain looked to Wisner like a scoop of ice cream atop a glass of root beer. How about that? So he created and served this new beverage to his patrons, and he called it, aptly named, the Black Cow. Oh. How about that? And it got, okay, people loved it. It got rave reviews. And to this day, this delectable mix of icy cold root beer and creamy vanilla ice cream is, well, quite frankly, an American classic, right? Yep. And I might add a perfect summertime treat for us. Just like the hot dog. <laughs> Just like the hot dogs. <laughs> hot dogs and root beer floats. Yes. That was a treat for us when we were growing up. I will never forget. You know the funny memories you have of your childhood mm-hmm. and just quirky little things? And I remember my mother bought a set of Tupperware glasses. They were the little plastic glasses in different sizes and different colors. And on Saturday night when we would watch, oh, my goodness, the Saturday night lineup. Now, you may be a little old to remember this, but it was, um, I think it was um, the Carol Burnett show. You know, it, oh, I think we started out with the Mary Tyler Moore show and the mm-hmm. Bob Newhart show. Dick Follow- Van Dyke, probably. Yeah, yeah. And then that was followed by an hour of uh, an hour of Carol Burnett. Yeah. And so if we'd had our baths and we'd been good, she would make us a root beer float in one of those little Tupperware glasses. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> now, for everyone listening to this show who have not seen Miss Earhart, mm-hmm. she does not look like she's from that generation. <laughs> and I wouldn't have even believed it if she told me. <laughs> Marky, Marky, you are <laughs> such a kind Southern gentleman and so complimentary. And that's just, uh, like I said, just keep lying to me. <laughs> the truth on that point is not welcome here. <laughs> just tell me. So anyway, so speaking of hanging around, the, hanging around the house in the summertime with all the kids around, um, I was thinking lately about how much, uh, qu- let's just put it this way, the quantity of groceries I've had to buy over the summertime. And for those of you that have, like I said, kids home for the summer, especially college kids who, who are not normally there eating dinner every night, you you may notice that your, your refrigerator is being emptied on a regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. So um, interestingly this week, Southern Living Magazine did an article about the best buys at 
Costco. Now, if you live in the South and you're lucky enough to be near a Costco, which you more than likely are going to be within driving distance, most of us are going to be within driving distance of one, you might be interested in knowing, is everything a good buy at Costco or just certain things? Hmm. Hmm. Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. Not everything is the best buy, but Southern Living put together a little list of the best possible buys where you're going to experience the most savings at Costco. And I have to tell you, some of these things are my favorite things, especially, number one, disposable dishware. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Now, Marquis, you as the, as the father of five young children and mm-hmm. me as the mother of uh, four kids and two step- stepchildren, total six count, mm-hmm. right? Um, you understand that, that, that we can generate a lot of dishes in our household. Oh, it's crazy. All day long, All right? All day long. Because they never want to skip a meal. You nope. know what I'm saying? So I will tell you, in my busy, especially when the kids were younger, it was not uncommon for me to keep a stack of paper plates around, <laughs> all right? Because that just speeded up the whole process. You know, they could eat up and then into the trash it went. Well, it turns out you can stock up on disposable dishware. That's paper plates, napkins, red Solo cups, all of that. That's a, those are a great buy at Costco. Baked beans. Would you have thought that? Hmm. Oh, yeah. And I don't mean the great big massive, you know, 117-ounce jugs of baked beans. I'm talking about the smaller, you know, the individual size, the, the small medium cans that you can buy in bulk. Now, if you're like me, I buy the baked beans, canned baked beans, but then I, I do the Jenny magic on them. Ooh. You know, I dress them up. I add all kinds of things. A little I, extra brown sugar. I don't buy canned beans anymore. Oh, man. Are you soaking beans? I soak beans. Oh, Marquis, you're such a good man. I love it. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm always in too much of a hurry to suck my beans. <laughs> Your mama would be proud of you. How about pimento cheese? I love now, pimento cheese. Now. Okay. Now, I make mine from scratch, mm-hmm. but if, if I'm pressed for time, I will tell you my best substitute for homemade pimento cheese is palmetto cheese. Ooh. Uh-huh. This is a company out uh, from Pauly's Island, South Carolina. Um, I've actually met them. They're amazing, and they do a wonderful pimento cheese, and the way we go through it in my house I don't know about you, but we could easily go through one of Costco's 24-ounce containers in, in a short period of time. Sounds like cereal in my house. Mm, right, yeah. <laughs> Kids, you're eating a lot of cereal. How about salsa, cheesecake, and we all know that gas, guys. If you want to fill up, Costco's the place to do it. So there you go. Southern Living's uh, sort of feedback and opinions on the best things to buy at Costco. Come on back. We'll see you in just a minute. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plato. Hey there, and welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program, the show for Southern women and the men who adore us. And we're talking tomatoes again. And I have to tell you guys, this is not the first time that we have discussed tomatoes this summer. And I was thinking about that earlier today, and I thought to myself, you know, I just think we could probably talk about tomatoes for weeks on end, as far as I'm concerned. Like, in the summertime in the South, they are everywhere. They are wonderful. They are such a integral part of Southern culinary culture. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They kind of dominate my food thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like my thought life. You know, when I'm thinking <laughs> about food lately, I've been just incorporating tomatoes because there's so many of them and so many different kinds. And I've got several different varieties in my garden this year. And I, I'm really not a gardener. I'm not that good at it. Uh, but <laughs> my, my husband has encouraged me and I'm able now to go outside and pull out a few. Uh, I've got some dark prints, uh, little purple ones that are amazing. Mm. And I've got some some beefsteak, and I've got um, one called Mr. Stripey, which is a lot of fun. And those have been making some, oh, 
Let me tell you, I've been using them in all different sorts of ways. But I just feel like tomatoes in the summertime, folks, are the gifts that keep on giving. You can just use them in so many different types of recipes. We're going to talk about some of those during the segment. And we love to hear your suggestions. So please, absolutely, shoot us an email. Let us know about your thoughts about tomatoes and different ways that you prepare them. You can email us at radio at southernsistershome.com. Oh, and I almost forgot, Marquis, we're going to give away a cookbook today. Uh oh this is important. Folks, all you have to do is send me an email and request a cookbook. The first person to do that will receive a copy of my latest cookbook, Seasons in the South. Oh, I got that one. You got that one. How easy is it to get a cookbook if mm. you just got an email? That's all you got to do. Oh. You know, we don't we don't make people work for their food here. <laughs> no, we're not making it com- we're not making it complicated. Just shoot me an email. Well, like I said, tomatoes are the gift that just keep on giving. My one of my daughters who's home for the summertime loves scrambled eggs, and she eats them almost every morning. She's a very healthy eater, so she will stir various types of fresh vegetables into her scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. You can do this with omelets, or um, but what she she's been doing a lot this summer is just chop dicing up those tomatoes and folding those right into her scrambled eggs. Maybe when they've got about a minute left to cook. Mm -hmm. That way they're not overcooked, you know. Just amazingly wonderful. And one of my favorite quotes about tomatoes, Marky, I don't know if you've ever heard this one, but Louis Grizzard, who was just a wonderful, amazing Southern humorist and author uh, here from the South, he said one time, he said, um, it is difficult to think anything but pleasant thoughts while eating a homegrown tomato. I wholeheartedly agree. I do How about too. you? I do too. I'm just happy when I'm doing that. I really am. Well, let's come up with some unique and interesting and wonderful new concepts for just kind of incorporating tomatoes into our summer diet. We've talked about some in the past. We've talked about tomato pies. Mm. We talked about bruschetta, right? Mm. We've done we've done all of those types of things. But I've got a couple of new ones for us today that I think may just excite your palates, guys. Uh, let's start out with one of my favorites, which is an open faced tomato sandwich with creamy cucumber spread. Okay, this is amazing, and it's very, very simple. Here's what you're going to need. You're going to need one 8-ounce package of cream cheese softened, two cucumbers. You want to remove the seeds and dice them up. So you're going to end up with about two cups of of, uh, diced cucumbers, Uh, one-fourth cup of finely chopped red onion, two-and-a-half tablespoons, excuse me, correction, two-and-a-half teaspoons of chopped fresh dill, uh, an equal amount of chopped fresh mint, two teaspoons of fresh lemon juice, and one teaspoon of white wine vinegar. You're also going to need a teaspoon of kosher salt, a little black pepper, and uh, six Texas toast slices. Now, if you don't have Texas toast, you can just pick up whatever looks good at the bakery uh, or in the bakery section of your grocery store. Just kind of slice it nice and thick because you're going to toast it. All right. We need six slices of toasted bread. And uh, and then the star, of course, of the occasion is going to be the tomatoes. You're going to need about three large tomatoes. You're going to cut them about one half inch thick, okay, into slices. We're also going to need a little extra virgin olive oil. You ready, Marquis? I'm ready. Buckle your seatbelt. Okay. You're going to stir together the cream cheese, the cucumbers, the red onion, the dill, mint, lemon juice, even the vinegar, and a little salt and pepper in a medium bowl. You're just going to combine it. Okay. There's really not much to this recipe, guys. You're going to spread about a fourth of a cup of the cucumber mixture onto each slice of your toasted bread. And then you're going to lay two or three tomato slices across the top. You're going to drizzle each with a little bit of olive oil. And here's the fun part. You can sprinkle sprinkle it with a little bit of chopped chives, a little salt and pepper, 
These are beautiful. You can make up six or 12 or 24 of these things, quite frankly, and kind of arrange them on a platter. It's just an open face sandwich. You know, it is fresh and delicious. I'm making this. I am making this. It sounds so good. Uh, yeah. I've made it once or twice before, but I haven't had it in about a month. And so I, I'm just, I just, I cycle through my tomato recipes. And as soon as I start reading the recipes, I'm, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> bring it on. I've got to have some this. right now. Mm. Well. Hey, and guys, this recipe will be on our website. So you know you can go to southernsistershome.com, click on the blog. Everything we talk about every week on the radio show is on the blog. And all the recipes are right there for you to download. Now, I was going to actually take us down with one recipe I was thinking about doing yesterday. And then Instead, I had a little fun in the kitchen last night, Mark. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I did. I had these beautiful fresh tomatoes, and I said, you know what? We're going to whip up something new. Okay, so this was kind of in my head. I've seen different incarnations of this recipe online. I don't know if they do it quite the way I do, but I did a caprese chicken last night. Oh. And the, the, the sounds of satisfaction that were coming out of my family. You know, when they normally were very talkative at the dinner table, right? But when they get quiet and I start hearing, mm, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm like, OK, they are loving this dish. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I love cooking for grateful people, you know. So, yes. <laughs> yes. To me, the mmms and the ahs are the greatest compliment to any cook. This was easy, guys. This is such a simple recipe. I love to use bone, uh, the bone in and skin on chicken thighs. Because I'm sorry, the skin provides that little bit of fat that you need, those juices, that crispy crust that are amazing. So what I did last night, guys, is I had about eight chicken thighs uh, with the skin on, bone in, right? I brushed them with a little olive oil, and I shook, I put a generous amount of kosher salt and black pepper and garlic salt on the outside of the chicken, right? I roasted them in the oven at, for about 45 minutes at 375 degrees, all right, till they got nice and crispy, Now, after about 20 minutes in the oven, I added the tomatoes. And what I used were two pints. And that may seem like a lot, guys. But once they start roasting, they kind of, you know, they kind of shrink up a little bit and they get kind of mushy. So it's not as much as you think. So I used one pint of the just the the everyday grape uh, tomatoes that you get in the grocery store. And they also had in my local grocery store this week, they had those little cute little yellow tomatoes you know they're kind of round like the cherry tomatoes Uh they're yellow um and so i used a pint of each of those and i just dumped those all around my chicken my chicken thighs right right in and already the oil was sizzling right the chicken juices were kind of coming out of the chicken so all of these wonderful tomatoes were rolling around and all that yummy juicy olive oily wonderful magic right and so you're going to roast those uh for the remaining 25 minutes that the, the chicken breasts are roasting Okay, so then what you're going to do is I put about uh, a pound of thin spaghetti. I like the thin spaghetti. I put that on to boil, right? And I had that going so that the spaghetti was ready at about the same time that the tomatoes and the chicken were coming out of the oven. And here's how I plated it. What I did was I took out the chicken. I arranged those yummy, crispy chicken breasts on a platter. I then took a large spoon and I spooned all of those yummy tomatoes over the top of the chicken. And by now they're kind of reduced down, they're kind of mushy, but they, they're kind of caramelized a little bit. And then there's all that yummy chicken broth, right? And already the salt and the pepper, all that goodness. You just spoon all of that over the chicken. I then added a little crumbled or grated, I should say, mozzarella cheese on top. And that just kind of started to melt over the top of the chicken. And then I pulled some fresh basil from the garden. You can pick it up at the grocery store. I chopped that up and put all those fresh, uh, fresh, wonderful basil right across the top of everything. This was the most beautiful dish. Can I tell you? It was like I, I laid it on. I put put the platter on the kitchen table, and it was like you know, angels, choirs of angels. Ah. Now, how many 
ingredients do you have in this recipe? I mean, what was it? I, did I even count I think them? It's like, it's like seven or yeah, eight. Yeah, it's nothing. You know, people think these things are complicated. Some of my best recipes are ones that have less than <laughs> you know, six, seven ingredients, right? Now, what I did, what everybody did was they put the uh, thin thin spaghetti on their plate, and they, they placed a chicken breast on top of that, and then they spooned all that yummy uh, tomatoey, saucy, wonderful chicken brothy mixture over the top. Absolutely amazing. Couldn't be better, guys. So consider that. That is Jenny McCormick Earhart's Chicken Caprese. And it, it sounds will, so good. It will be on the website also. But we're not done, Marky. Oh, we're not? No, the good just keeps coming. A couple of other ways to enjoy, um, uh, I think, tomatoes in the summertime is to make a wonderful charred tomato relish. Now, this is amazing. You can do it right in a grill pan on the oven or in the, on the stove. You can do it on the grill outside if you're in the process of cooking and grilling things out there anyway. And here's what you want to do, because this is wonderful served over steak. Mm. chicken mm. Uh, really just about any kind of meat pork would be amazing mm. all you want to do is all you want to do is grill your tomatoes and turn them often okay you want to cut them in half of course first and brush them with a little olive oil put them right on the grill you're going to grill you're going to char them for about 4 to 6 minutes you're going to remove them from the um from the grill right you're going to kind of coarsely chop them transfer them to a bowl and you're going to add let's see i would put in about maybe a tablespoon of chopped fresh parsley, a little bit of garlic, a sprinkling of sugar, maybe some crushed red pepper. There's not really a science to this, guys. It's just kind of what tastes good to you. You definitely want to drizzle a little olive oil over there and just toss it all to combine. This is a heavenly charred tomato relish. I recommend you try it tonight. Okay, guys, we're going to be right back in a few minutes. We're talking Girls' Night in. Taste the bologna, Tony. Everybody eats when they come to my house. I fix your favorite dishes. There ain't nobody can take away the and welcome back to the Southern Sisters Radio Program. Guess what time it is, Marquis? What time is it? <laughs> You're not invited. <laughs> oh, well. No, you can't come because it's girls' night in. And, you know, here in the South, I have to say, uh, I think I think women in the South just do girls' night in and girls' night out with particular style and grace mm-hmm. and funk and fun. And, you know, it's just all about getting together and, and talking and chatting. And, and we women need our girl time, you know? We're good with our men. We love our families. We love our husbands and our sons. But we, sometimes we just got to get away and get together. And that's uh, that's what we're talking about during this. Well, segment. in my younger days, I ran across a couple of these girls' night outs. Ah. Yes. Wasn't invited to the girls' night. No, 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 you're not. And you can't take it personally, you know? In fact, that's something my husband tells me often. He says, I am fully supportive of your girl time. He says, I understand that you have, there's something in you as a woman that needs to get together and hang out and talk and Mm -hmm. bond and chat and fellowship with other women. And it's just an essential part of being a woman, in my opinion. So, anyway, we're just going to embrace it during this segment. All right, right? I'm going to turn my mic off. (laughs) No, you stay right where you are. (laughs) Because you can go home and give your wife some of these wonderful recipes. Now, what we're going to do, guys, is talk about having the girls in tonight. Now, we know going out is also fun, but tonight we're staying in, and we're going to put together a little recipe that I think a lot of you will enjoy for your girls' night in. It's a little more substantial than the last girls' night in recipe menu menu segment that we had. This one's actually a light dinner. We've done little appetizers and cocktails before, but we are going to whip up some delicious recipes for this one that are easy, uh, easy to serve, don't take a lot of time, and you're going to just impress your girlfriends with these dishes. Now, we all know that Southern women can eat. Yes. Okay. So typically, girls' night in is not about eating dainty food. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put away some food tonight, and we're gonna do it. With listen to this, guys. We've got a recipe for you for a glazed ham and buttermilk drop biscuits. Now this is so easy to serve. You can just kind of let people build their own little ham biscuits, or they can. There's a glaze that goes on this ham. You guys can serve up, slice up the ham, serve it on little plates, and then you can take these little buttermilk drop biscuits and kind of sop them in this amazing mustard brown sugar mixture that's going on the ham that is just to die for. Hello. When is got, your next my, I'm having. I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> my mouth is watering. I'm having trouble talking. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, so this is what we're going to start out with, guys. And we've also got a wonderful cocktail that's going to go beautifully with this. But let's talk about our glazed ham. Now, this is a simple recipe, okay? So this is something that is just sort of classically Southern ham. You can't get more Southern than ham and biscuits, in my opinion. Uh, what you need for this particular recipe is you're going to need about two cups of brown sugar, one cup of yellow mustard, all right? A fourth of a cup of apple cider vinegar, and a little bit of black pepper. Now, you're going to want to find yourself a really nice, about I'd say about five-pound pre-cooked, unglazed, bone-in ham, okay? Just the pre, not the raw ham. You want the, the pre-cooked ham from the grocery store, and you're going to need about 10 whole cloves also, all right? You want to preheat your oven to about 325 degrees, and you're going to combine together the brown sugar, the yellow mustard, the apple cider vinegar, and about a half a teaspoon of black pepper, all right? You just want to whisk that together in a bowl and set it aside. You want to place your lovely ham on a foil-lined uh, baking sheet, right? Now, what I like to do with mine, guys, is I like to kind of score the outside of that ham a little bit, a little crisscross, and then you can stick those cloves in around there, okay? You want to let it sit at about room temperature for 30 minutes or so. You don't want it ice cold. You always need to kind of let that ham warm up just a little bit when you know after it comes out of the refrigerator. Now, then what you're going to do is you're going to cover the whole ham with foil. You're going to bake it for about 15 minutes, all right? Take it out of the oven. You're going to uncover the ham and brush it with about half of the brown sugar mixture, right? Just let it get all down there in those little openings and nooks and crannies where you scored it, right? Then you're going to pop it back into the oven for another half an hour. Now, if you can remember, this just makes it even better. About it, For that last half an hour, about every 10 minutes or so, open up the oven and baste it with those juices. Because what's happening here, guys? Let me just tell you a little bit about the magic that's going on with your ham right now. The magic is in the glaze, all right? So that mustard and brown sugar mixture that coats the ham as it cooks, it's settling into the ham drippings, and it's creating a dipping sauce that is... Well, in a word, extraordinary. Mm. It's amazing, okay? So you want to pull your ham out and let it rest. Now, if you make this ham a couple of hours before your girl's night in, don't worry. This ham is actually just as good at room temperature as it is hot, you know, or warm. It does not have to be piping hot out of the oven. I actually like it a little bit better when it's come to room temperature. It's not going to make it to room temperature in my house. It's not going to last, is it, Mark? Hey, wait a minute. This is girls' night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is girls' night. You have to wait for leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as we're talking about this amazing brown sugar mustard honey glazed ham that you're going to serve is going to go beautifully with some buttermilk drop biscuits. And these are about as easy as you can get, okay? There's no rolling out. There's no cutting. This is a shortcut version Uh, So don't shy away from it, guys. Let's talk about the buttermilk drop biscuits. You're going to need about two cups of self-rising white lily flour. Now, white lily, (laughs) because you are a southern sister. You live in the south, so you use white lily flour. Uh, One teaspoon of salt, one cup of vegetable shortening, and about two-thirds cup to three-fourths cup of buttermilk. You got that? 
Okay, that's all you need. Guys, it's like four ingredients, all right? You're going to preheat your oven to 400 degrees. So if your ham has already come out of the oven, just go ahead and turn your oven up to 400 degrees. Now, in a bowl, you're going to stir together your flour and salt. You're going to dot it with the shortening, right? And you're going to blend it together with a pastry cutter, or you could use your fingers. Guys, I just use my fingers. It's just easier because, quite frankly, uh, a pastry cutter is one more thing that I have to wash. So <laughs> I typically just use my hands. Get in there with your fingers and just kind of mix it together until the, the dough starts to remember uh, resemble small pellets or small peas, right? Then you're going to stir in your buttermilk, right, just until combined. And keep that buttermilk. Don't put it all in at once. Add a little bit more at a time if it seems too dry. But you just want it to come together right and hold together now here's the easy part you're just going to drop about two tablespoon size mounds of dough onto your baking sheet now you want to either grease your baking sheet well or line it with a sheet of parchment paper okay you're going to put the put the dollops of dough about two tablespoon size mounds onto your baking sheet you're going to bake them for about 10 to 12 minutes now Biscuits are a little funny, and everybody's oven is different. So I typically, if something says to cook at 12 to 14 minutes, I start looking in on it at about 10 minutes. Because you'd be surprised how fast a biscuit can go from nice and golden to Mm -hmm. a little too dark just in short work. (laughs) So you just want to keep an eye on it. I'd say check it about 10 to 12 minutes, and then pull those beauties out of the oven, okay? You can put all of this on a platter together, quite frankly. You can put your ham, slice it up, right? And then if you want to, you want some of the brown sugar glaze on the ham, but then any of those juices and drippings that have kind of puddled around the bottom of the pan, you could put those into a little bowl with a little spoon and people can kind of serve those. You are not going to be able to resist the urge to take one of those little biscuits and just soak it up in that amazing ham dripping gravy sauce. My mouth is salivating. I know, right? We got we got we got to get onto something else because I'm just I'm lost in I'm daydreaming about ham and biscuits right now. I know. You know what would go beautifully with our ham and biscuits for our girls' night in is a nice fresh herb potato salad. Now Ooh. ham and biscuits can be a little heavy, so we're going to lighten it up here a little bit, right? So this is wonderful. What you're going to need is about a pound and a half of new potatoes. Now, if you want to experiment with some of those other fun little potatoes that are in the store, you know they have the little mini gold ones. Mm-hmm. You know what I made last week, Marquis. I found some purple potatoes. Oh, they were so good. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know. They're normally no difference in taste, but they were just kind of fun and different. I mean, the kids thought it was a little weird. At I like first. fingerling potatoes. Oh, fingerling. You know, you could substitute that in this recipe here. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I'm use the fingerling potatoes. It. You need about a pound and a half, whatever kind you use. You're going to boil them about 15 to 20 minutes until they're fork tender, right? Then you're going to need about a half a cup of fresh herbs. All right. Now, here's what you're going to do with them. You uh, drain your potatoes, right? Kind of set them aside. And in a medium bowl, you're going to mix together a half a cup of the herbs. Now, these can be the herbs of your choice, folks. You can use parsley, tarragon, chives, really pretty much anything that you like, um, about a half a cup. You're also going to need two tablespoons of olive oil, about two tablespoons of of uh, chopped scallions or green green onions, right? You're going to need about a tablespoon of whole grain mustard and a tablespoon of red wine vinegar. And as with all good recipes, a little bit of kosher salt and cracked black pepper. That's all you need. So you just got to throw a little bit of that in there. You're going to whisk that together. You're going to add your potatoes and kind of toss them, toss them together until they're combined. They're going to be a beautiful, you're going to have the red skin on the potatoes. You're going to have all these fresh green herbs in this amazing vinaigrette. You can serve it warm like this, which is wonderful, or you can pop it into the refrigerator and chill it up a little bit, right? Mm. I've had it both ways and it's amazing. Okay. I'm just thinking this with... If you put uh, some mint and basil in that potato uh-huh. salad with uh-huh. the 
Oh, hell. Do it. Do it, Marky. <laughs> this is so good. We got to round it out with a cute, with a cocktail, though. This, this is, after all, you know, it's Girls' Night In, right? A nice, fresh summertime cocktail. We have a cucumber and watermelon cocktail for you that uses a cucumber vodka. Now, you can buy cucumber vodka uh, at the store, but if you don't, you can also uh, muddle some cu- fresh cucumber into your uh, into the shaker when you're making this cocktail, mm-hmm. or you can infuse your own vodka. Mm-hmm. And folks, if you go to our website, southernsistershome.com, and go to the blog, we did a whole post about infused vodka. It's very, very easy and very impressive, and you can do you can do your own cucumber-infused vodka. One way or the other, you need a little bit of it, okay? Now, to make to make a couple of these drinks, you're going to need the cucumber vodka, and uh, you're going to need about four cubes of seeded watermelon, all right? You're going to need two limes and two ounces of simple syrup. Now, just go ahead and make yourself a batch of simple syrup because it's good to have around. It's equal parts of sugar and water boiled until the sugar dissolves and then set aside. What you're going to do to make uh, two drinks at a time, we're going to use a shaker. You're going to combine four ounces of cucumber vodka, four cubes of seedless watermelon, and you're going to have two limes that you've diced up, diced up the meat, right? You're going to muddle the ingredients together, okay? You're going to add in about two ounces of simple syrup. You're going to fill the shaker with ice. You're going to cover it and shake it good until it's ice cold. Now, since we Southern Sisters like to make everything pretty, it's a good idea to maybe put a little rim around your glasses, okay? Mm-hmm. Run it, uh, rub, rub a lime around the rim of the glasses and then dip them in either sugar. Some people even are now doing a mixture of sugar and salt together, right? So you got your pretty glasses all rimmed with salt and sugar. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to pour the beverage right from the shaker into your prepared glass. You want to put ice in the glass, fill it up with ice, and then uh, pour in your cucumber watermelon cocktail. Now, as in anything, we like it pretty, so we can garnish with a little watermelon slice or a cucumber slice would be great. Maybe a mint sprig. You see what I'm saying, guys? And you're just going to want to repeat this as many times as necessary. So make sure you have plenty of everything that you need. Guys, nothing better than a nice summertime cocktail, little little uh, brown sugar brown sugar and mustard sliced ham with little drop buttermilk biscuits and some herbed potato salad. It's going to be a great girls' night in. And we'll be right back. Said it, take me out of the valley. Southern Sisters Radio Show. Now, with your Southern narrative, sharing stories from around the South, here is your host, Jenny McCormick Earhart. Songs of the South by Donovan Webster. Why here? explain all the great music that's come out of the American South and, in not so much more than a century, shocked, inspired, and changed the sound of pretty much every other culture on Earth. Name another region anywhere, ever, that's brought forth so much great music in so many styles. Music that continues to multiply and evolve and open our ears to new forms. You can't. Jazz? It's from New Orleans. Gospel? The South alone. How about the blues? The Mississippi Delta. Bluegrass and country? Appalachia. Rock and roll? Memphis. No chess or king R&B without blues and jazz. 
No Stax or Motown soul without gospel and R&B. No funk without soul and R&B and the influence of New Orleans. Not to mention the ancestors that never died. Old-time music, Cajun chanky-chank, and the Low Country's gullah tunes, which work like semaphore among those who understand their often subversive meanings. Ocean. Went down to the river Jordan. So much of it goes back to the slave songs, spirituals sung in fields and around hearths. At night in the rarefied world of the big house, you might have heard a classical quartet playing Haydn. But a life of hardship is what brought soul to church music and midwifed jazz and the blues, which was just more rhyme and perhaps a secondary melody. Some say John was a Jew, but I say John was a Jew. Muddy Waters was born in Jugs Corner, Mississippi, and his heroes were the Delta bluesmen Sunhouse and Robert Johnson. I once had the honor of sitting down to a meal with a man, and though I've misplaced or lost the notes I made at the time, I'll never forget what he told me. He asked if I knew what a gospel or blues song was. He explained that it was a good rhyme, a working person's rhyme, and if it's the blues, a good guitar line. Then he said, all you need are words and a story. At that he looked down, pointed to the knife on the table, and talked about how you could cook with it, cut rope with it, or kill a man with it. Right there, he said, you're mostly done writing a blues song. Of course, not all American music is from the South. New York City invented big band jazz and punk, and the Harlem Renaissance took New Orleans jazz and ran with it. Chicago did its thing with the blues, mostly by offering social change and electricity to men from Mississippi. Detroit embraced R&B and soul. The Caribbean and West Africa have played their parts. The British Isles have given, received, and given back to us several times, contributing mightily in waves. Our musical cultures have cross-pollinated for centuries. But the South can claim the new forms born here. I don't think it could have happened anywhere else. It has to do with the rich mix of cultures, from African to Scottish-Irish to, yes, Native American, tribes all. It has to do with a slower pace of life. The music is in the air, the earth, and the water uniquely of this, of this place. The arrival of the Scottish-Irish in southern Appalachia in the early 1800s brought with its musical instruments beyond the voice, the violin, mandolin, banjo, tambour, and all-important guitar. The music that came with these folks, ballads, jigs, and reels, their folk music, began to morph as it traveled through the Cumberland Gap. Before too long, there was bluegrass, which has left us with so many great artists. Bill Monroe, the Stanley Brothers, Doc Watson, Flatt and Scruggs. Then came country music, a new form that slowed down the Celtic-derived stuff, put it in a blues mode, and then went on to pretty much build the city of Nashville, with thongs with songs about mama and freight trains and three-legged dogs and broken hearts and prison in the words of one friend with years in the industry there
One of my favorite musicians is Hiram King Williams. You probably know him as Hank, the epitome of country's twang and sorrow. A son of Mount Olive, Alabama, he basically wrote a song a day across his adult life, which unfortunately ended in 1953 when he was just 29 in the back of a Cadillac somewhere between Bristol, Virginia and Oak Hill, West Virginia. Hank is said to have remarked that most of his songs were set to the tempo of a beating heart. Music was simply waiting inside him. It took whiskey often to get it out, but it was always there. After Hank and Company came to Ruffians, the rock and rollers and the soul and R&B singers. Once again, new sounds seemed to just appear fully formed. Up-tempo mixes of blues and country and gospel and jazz in different flavors. Out of Louisiana came Jerry Lee Lewis and the Neville Brothers. Little Richard and Otis Redding hailed from Georgia. Elvis Presley from Mississippi, along with Bo Diddley. From Arkansas, Al Green and Johnny Cash. From Tennessee, Carl Perkins, and long before him, the influential Carter family. James Brown came out of South Carolina. Roy Orbison from Texas. Ike from Mississippi. Tina from Tennessee. From here on out, Southern music just kept bubbling up and spilling all over the place, mixing old and new cultures and influences and throwing it all into a big stew pot, cooking it down in kitchens and on front porches across the South to later be refined inside now legendary recording studios like Sun and Stax in Memphis, Cosimo in New Orleans, Chess in Chicago, Motown in Detroit, Muscle Shoals in Alabama. The music has never stopped, and it has never stopped evolving. Think of the southern rock of the Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker, Charlie Daniels, Tom Petty, ZZ Top in Alabama. Just try to definitively categorize Jimmy Buffett, who as a young songwriter in Nashville had the dubious honor of being thrashed by famed Tennessee Sheriff Buford Walking Tall Pusser. And don't you dare forget ladies like June Carter Cash. Loretta Lynn and Lucinda Williams, who've reshaped Southern music, each according to her own beautiful will. Load the car and write the note. Grab your bag and grab your coat. A great example of a younger band finding success and its way by staying true to the roots found in this rich earth is North Carolina's Avid Brothers. On a visit to my hometown, Charlottesville, Virginia, in late 2012, the brothers began speaking lovingly of life in the rural South. We were just sitting around, and I had a question. Referencing one of their biggest hits, I and Love and You, a song that included the line, Ah, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, take me in, I felt compelled to ask, So Brooklyn didn't take you in? The Avits both chuckled. It does from time to time, Scott said. But then it always spits us back out. You know, back down to North Carolina. It's all cool. That sense of fun and good nature and community is another big part of what makes our music culture so great. It's like our musicians are brothers and sisters, the kind you find in a church. One of my favorite stories comes out of a night in the early 1980s. I spent hanging out with the king of rockabilly, Carl Perkins, who grew up hardscrabble near Jackson, Tennessee. 
On this evening, we were in New York City outside the Mud Club. He'd just done a show with his sons on drums and stand-up bass, and they were headed back home on the tour bus. We were talking, and he said he wrote, first wrote, Blue Suede Shoes on the back of a grocery sack. I was in the kitchen at the table with my guitar, and that bag was all I had to write on, he said. I had one pencil. He then began telling me about Elvis and what a nice guy he was. Were you angry he took a song you wrote and recorded, then re-recorded it himself and made it a big hit? I asked. Son, Carl said, he became a friend. And when he did that song, boy, oh boy, the music totally took him over. That was something I was happy to be a part of. Isn't that what it's really all about? Being a part of something that came before you and grows beyond you? Something that fills you up and surrounds you? A few years ago, my son was invited by some friends to an African Baptist church while he was visiting Charleston, South Carolina. When he got back home, he told me, the church service lasted all day Sunday, but I didn't mind. The music was always going, and everyone would stop church for a while and eat together, and then they would start church again. And it was amazing. Exactly. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Southern Sisters radio program. Can't tell you what a privilege it is to be here every week and share our thoughts and feelings on Southern culture, Southern life, Southern food, Southern cocktails, and just uh, Southern women and the men who adore them. Just remember, all of the wonderful recipes we talked about on the air this week, including the uh, Ladies' Night Inn recipes, uh, the wonderful ham and buttermilk biscuits, and all of those fascinating tomato recipes that we talked about, all of those are found on our website. Please do visit us at southernsistershome.com. Click on the blog link, and you'll find everything you need. And once again, we love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and opinions about life in the South. If you have ideas for show segments, we'd love to hear those too. Go ahead and email us at radio at southernsistershome.com. Have a great week. 